Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I can't believe it. I'm just so excited to be here. I'm in this dream place. This one comes highly recommended. Dream place? What are you doing? Get out of the car. Yeah. The girl is still missing. What's wrong? I don't know who I am. I wonder where you were going. Welcome to The Syndicate, a film and TV podcast. Be a part of the conversation as industry insiders, genre lovers, and cinephiles dare to peek beyond the curtains of imagination and dive into the art of cinema. Join us as we want you to spend less time scrolling and more time watching. Now here's your host, Armand Haddad. Guys, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for coming. We have some newcomers. We have some seasonal favorites. So, Mike, I'm going to start with you. We're going to go around and introduce ourselves. So, Mike, you're the first person who hasn't been on the podcast here at this table today. So, Mike, how are you? I'm doing great. Uh, this is my first podcast I've ever done. So, we're going to see how that goes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I think this is like quite a, a a good topic to jump into for a conversational podcast. So I agree. I'm really amped for how it's going to go. I agree. Anthony, it's been a hot minute. You're yeah. back. Yeah, I'm back. And what was, right. the, what was the last episode you were on? Lamb? Lamb. Yeah. Lamb. Now we're talking about another crazy movie today, and I can't wait to get into it. And Diego, you're back too. Yes, I am. How's it going? It's going well. <laughs> <laughs> when was the last time you were on? Last time I was on was uh, from Dust Till Dawn. Oh my God, that was so long ago. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was. I think that was, oh man, that was October because it was definitely around Halloween. Yeah, so. it's right before Halloween. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's quite a Halloween movie. Yeah, 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 it really is. That's so good. Yeah. Okay, so we gathered here today. We're talking about Mulholland Drive. And Mike, this was your idea. 
Yeah, yeah. I I really wanted to pick this movie because I know if you get a group of people together who love talking about movies, a big thing that it comes down to is like theme or trying to answer the unanswered questions. Mm -hmm. And I feel like this movie has a lot of those. So um, I thought it was just kind of like walking into a treasure trove of discussion, right? Because David Lynch, he's, I I don't know if you guys know about this. He's really big into like meditation and transcendental meditation. So he wants a lot of his stuff to just kind of resemble meditating or a dream. And yeah, I think that'll give a big opportunity for like, you know, conversation of thoughts because he wants you to think he wants to leave unanswered questions, you know? This movie got me thinking, and there's a lot of unanswered questions, and I think we're going to get to the bottom of it. <laughs> Anthony, this is your favorite movie, right? Yeah. And this is why you're here. Yeah, I've seen this movie, I can't even count how many really? times. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, I mean, it's been a few years since I've seen it last, but when I was watching it the other day, like, it all started to come back real fast. So, yeah, uh, wow. I'm enjoying uh, being able to talk about it. Now, Mike... How many times have you seen this movie? Uh, not too many, like three or four times. The first time I saw it was That's during lockdown. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> Diego, I think, actually saw the second time I ever saw a David Lynch film. It was the second time I saw Blue Velvet. Okay. And, oh, and wow. I, yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah. It was, yeah. It was a trip of a movie. It was yeah. Great. It was a good time. It was really we were time. we were together. And at some point he had me pause the film and be like, is this really what's going on? Like, did I see this? Just <laughs> yeah. And so I was like, yeah. And he and, and Diego, you know, he does the thing where he just like kind of holds his nose. He's like, OK, yeah. OK, we can unpause. I know that movie. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> so yeah. I was like, oh, yeah. Do I want like that reaction? Because I feel like Mulholland Drive in a lot of ways is the like archetypical Lynch film. Like if you don't really know is. what to get someone into, you don't want to lean too much into one thing or the other. It's like all of his ingredients. You know, it's like Steven Spielberg's Jurassic Park, right? Yes. Like mm-hmm. everything's there, mm-hmm. you know, the early and the later stuff. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I feel like with Mulholland Drive, it's more straightforward to understand for a David Lynch film, but not as out there as I found like Inland Empire to be, which mm-hmm. I didn't really like. Um, but yeah, I think this is like the perfect David Lynch movie to talk about. Oh, yeah. Boy. Yeah. And, and now Diego. Yes. You know, we have two seasoned veteran Lynchian fans <laughs> and now we have you. Yep. You just watched this movie. Yeah. I literally watched it this morning. <laughs> I, I've just been busy and I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to watch this movie before the podcast. So I woke up at 6.15. Oh, my God. I, <laughs> I planned it all out. And I said, well, if it started at 7, I'm going to be here on time. And uh, honestly, I'm so happy Mike really touched on the whole like kind of dream aspect. Because that was definitely what I got. And that was, you know, I was like half asleep. I'm like, I'm slowly sipping Starbucks. And I'm just... <laughs> Like, the, you know, the, like, slow scene transitions with a fade and it yep. just, like, flashing different things, but also, like, in a very Lynch fashion. The just, organ music, you know. Yeah, yes. and just, like, just throwing you, like, just throwing stuff at you. Um, can I, like, get into specific shots? In yes. Cinematography? Okay, cool. Describe cool, cool, the cool. shots. Okay. <laughs> Actually, it was more, there was definite, my, the scene that, like, was awesome. 
And I was, it freaked me out because it was so early in the morning. And I was like, I was like, you know, I was kind of expecting a chill movie. I'm like, wow, look nope. at all, look at all these like posters. They seem chill. Like I can expect like something palatable. But in the beginning, when there's, um, uh, when there's two people talking about how there's one guy talking about how he has a dream. And then when he ends up going to the back of the like of the uh, fast food or the diner, yeah, yeah, I I was I, I it wasn't a I can't explain it as a jump scare, but more <laughs> of like a oh wow okay I felt like I like turned the corner and I almost like just I don't know I just saw something I was not supposed to see. It was at <laughs> that moment Diego wet the bed. <laughs> hey, no, 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 you know it's interesting though because I agree with you that it's not really a jump scare because the guy literally tells you everything that's going to happen. Yes, and then they they explicitly show you a shot of how this is him seeing the guy, and so and he gives him a look like, oh God, now we're experiencing that. So there's no surprise really. It's more like the dread of what you've already been told. It's like oh, a you know, yeah. it's like a shot in your butt. You know, you're like the doctor already told you exactly what's going to happen and you're just like, <laughs> like <laughs> oh, and the music that's like came in at that part like really almost like it really sets you up for the rest of the movie when you hear that like slow winding up kind of sound it's like yeah be ready for something yes. you know so and, and yes. almost something i almost wish like i paid attention to was that every time that played just like how in any kind of movie when there's like a theme tied in with someone yeah. and that like theme starts playing i felt like that's something i just completely looked over like i was like oh every time you know maybe every time that like that tightening that winding sound goes off it's related to this um shaman <laughs> but like the mysterious you know a uh, mysterious homeless person yeah, yeah yeah apparently it's actually a woman who plays the creature yeah, too yes yeah. yeah i think it's called the tramp the tramp the tramp what's the... it's it's this demon hobo lady okay oh, is thing. this is this like a covered in oil is this a los angeles folktale it might be. <laughs> we don't just live like, in LA, so we don't know just about like the these. Mothman in Virginia. The Mothman's in Chicago. What? Yeah, now it's at like O'Hare. Right now, it's traveling. Oh my god, yeah. oh dude, that's crazy. We have to get the Mothman. So um, I feel like when with the demon, the tramp, whatever you want to call this creature, uh, David Lynch has this very common thing of how the main character demonizes the other. Right. Like mm. the 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 other person they meet is not trustworthy. You they feel like they know more about the situation than the character that you're focusing on. And I feel like you get that out of the guy in the cowboy outfit. Mm, you get yes. it even out of like Rita, how obscured. And then it's clear that she's has more power and more control. And a lot of this movie over and over is people meeting another individual who just has more control of the situation than them. And I feel like it's a very interesting way to display vulnerability in a character, you know? Mm, um, yes. And and I feel like the first time you get that is with this tramp creature. Like, the he goes, oh, they're behind there. They're controlling everything, you know? And then they just slide out like they're they're on a track or yes. something. And it's, <laughs> like, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I think that's an interesting way to look at, look at it. I haven't even considered that part of the movie and i've seen it so many times but yeah like every character has someone that does have more power whether it's uh uh 
uh, Justin Thoreau's character. I can't think of. Yeah, yeah. Where he doesn't get. It seems like this Hollywood cabal is ruining his Adam life. Adam Keshner, you know? yeah, the director. Adam, yeah. where the guy in the wheelchair and all the other people were influencing his movie yeah. with Rita and uh, uh, Betty. Um, so yeah, everyone has someone that has control over them, and you know how what the dream part of the movie shows kind of what some of them were looking for where Betty was looking to have that power over Rita. And then once it got to the, where she woke up, you know, it was completely different. Right. Right. Yeah. This movie is like, God. So I watched this last week and like my mind has been spinning (laughs) ever since watching. I'm just like, what did I just watch? Cause like, there's so much to say about it. There's so much to think about it. And honestly, um, let's get into first impressions. So like after I watched it, even when I was watching it, cause like even the scene before the scene you described, uh, Diego, mm-hmm. just in the beginning with like the car driving along the country road, the credits are rolling, uh, the music's playing. I think it's Antonio Benedetti, the same composer that did twin peaks. Mm-hmm. And I'm watching this. I'm like, am I watching twin peaks? <laughs> this feels like I'm watching twin peaks right now. Has all the Twin Peaks actors. Got yeah. the Twin Peaks music guy, David Lynch. <laughs> it, it is Twin 90s Peaks. Lynch par excellence, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it truly is. And like when I was watching, I'm like, so I don't know. I, okay. Anthony, Mike, I know you know this. This was supposed to be a TV show. Yeah. Oh, I I feel like I heard that fact, but completely forgot about it. Because, like, it makes sense, right? It, it feels like it is, it's like somebody who lives off of daytime TV having an extremely, like, Freudian nightmare, you know? Like, that's, <laughs> that's what it feels like watching it, right? Because, like, the music seems kind of like, like, it's perfect, but it also seems common or cheap it's not it's not john williams it's not hans zimmer you know it's like this like three instruments and a like very sort of like fuzzy lens that evokes like a sitcom almost Mm -hmm. and it, it doesn't it's not trying to make a big epic thing out of the the subconscious right it's it's just it's it's letting it be an everyday occurrence which kind of makes it freaky i feel like yeah like with so like with the music with this i was just transported to like another world it's very dreamlike but yeah. like with uh david lynch so like he did twin peaks it was very successful it was a cultural phenomenon and then he did mulholland drive maybe like 10 years later and it wasn't picked up so he recut the movie he recut everything that he shot really? the pilot into a film oh so I did not know that. So I was watching this. Anthony, you know this, right? That it was supposed to be a TV show? Yeah, yeah I did. Yeah, because I was watching this and I was like, this isn't like TV from the early 2000s, late 90s. Yeah. Because like, we all know what that looks like. You know, we've seen the sitcoms. We've seen the soap operas. It's very cheap. This is super cinematic. This felt like a film. I was watching a film and I'm watching this. And I'm like, this was supposed to be a TV show? Like, oh my God, this would have been amazing. It would have been incredible, just like Twin yeah. Peaks. I'm kind of ahead of his ahead of his time because now almost every show on TV, especially on your premium channels, 
every episode is like a film, like mm-hmm. obviously Game of Thrones, True Blood, all that. So he was definitely ahead of his time oh, yeah. with, you know, having that kind of mindset. And I think uh, Twin Peaks definitely was like that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like since that time, we've now expected TV like film to have this like consistent vision and theme Mm -hmm. that like sort of overarches, you know, I'm especially thinking of like a true detective or something like that, you Mm -hmm. know, where the the overarching theme almost adds like a psychedelic element to it. (laughs) And and you don't have that even in really like. Uh, premium TV shows in the 90s. You don't you, like the Sopranos, really good writing, but it doesn't transport you somewhere else, you know, like inside the person's head, I feel like. Uh, and, and this definitely, I think, harkens to, like you said, what would later become television, what would later become like this psychic sort of uh, uh, thematic uh, way of layering a TV show, you know, even like Fleabag or something like that. Mm-hmm. You're, you're in the person's head. Mm-hmm. You're, you're experiencing their unstable vision. We all have a limited narrative. We all have a limited perspective. We all have a limited gaze. And mm-hmm. that's not something to mourn. That's like a, it's something to rejoice in terms of an artist's vision, mm-hmm. I guess. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so beautifully said. <laughs> <laughs> So we talked about, we've been dancing upon Mulholland Drive this entire time. So do we want to get into it now? So Anthony, Mike, who wants to volunteer as tribute to summarize Mulholland Drive before we go any deeper into this film? Because I want to get into it. Would it be too aggressive to have Diego, how about you do the best that you can to explain what you just watched? Love it. And then we'll have Mike uh, give a synopsis. I yeah. love it. Um, I would say Mahalan Drive is uh is a within the magical realism, a mystical Ooh. realism genre, oh. right? There are unanswered questions, it's a bit of a mystery, and it it has you asking what's going on, and that's okay. <laughs> so um yeah i feel like i kind of explained a lot of like the feelings i almost feel like it's yeah. one of those movies you have to you should just watch because it's it's not uh you don't want to give it away but yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it almost feels like he's deliberately writing the movie to be unexplainable like mm. a big event happens but we don't have a word for the event like what we would call a crisis or an argument mm-hmm. or like a moment of humiliation it's like well it's definitely a moment like 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 the whole moment where Rita is sort of, I guess, getting more uh, popular and accepted than Betty. You know that there's like humiliation and humble uh, being humbled is sort of occurring. But you don't we don't really have an aggregate word for a lot of this. It's almost like he's giving us the stuff so that we'll talk about it in like inventive vocabulary, you know, right. like. Sorry, I just feel like a whole bunch of the movie is just like clicking within my head. Now, so. <laughs> okay, uh, well, did you have something you wanted to say, or I could, I could. Go uh, into the no, yeah, you can go ahead, go for okay. it. Okay, so the way that I sort of interpreted the structure of the movie, mm-hmm. um, I think it's the more like orthodox interpretation I've read about. Which, you, if you've seen this movie enough, you probably know this: the the idea that it's a dream, and the dream becomes progressively more organized the way that like REM sleep does over time. Mm. So, in the beginning, when you go to sleep and you have a dream, if you're woken up very early in sleep, you know 
people know this, you, you see a series of images, right? Like the beginning of the movie where there's all the people dancing and there's the, the trip and it's very unstructured. Yeah. And over time, not only does the movie sort of get at first a plot narrative of like, okay, it's about this woman. She came to the city, but you even sort of gain like character depth. You gain thematic depth and you, and it retroactively sort of assigns meaning to this early, like seemingly unrelated scene. So the initial scenes where she arrives at the airport and it seems like a Nancy Drew mystery almost, you know? Yeah. And then there's this moment of tension with the horrific person behind the dumpster. All of this is sort of like building moments you're going to expect. And I think we all are more upset and freaked out by this movie than, than we, than you would think we would be just because of, for example, the, the scene at the diner, it just puts us on edge the rest of the movie. Cause you're waiting for more people to pop out behind dumpsters, the rest of the movie, you know, yeah. and they never do. The movie becomes like this, like this, this, uh, this meditation on this, like unorthodox relationship, but you're still waiting for someone to jump out of the dumpster the whole time, you know, mm-hmm. like the person to come out. And, and by the time you see that woman again, she's just sort of, you know, holding the, the, the cube mm-hmm. and, yes. and it's still ambiguous, but you understand what the tension is about, that it's about this woman's like failure of her dream almost. Mm-hmm. That was, that was sort of what I took away from the movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, Throughout all the times I've watched it, I've actually taken less meaning out of all the subplots of the first half of the film, because if you kind of apply it to just a dream, like your own dream, Mm -hmm. things don't make sense in the dream and they're not supposed to make sense. Mm -hmm. So I think in David Lynch has even said this in interviews that in that first part of the film, a lot of those subplots with the hitman and the in the the movie uh, trying to get made it doesn't need to be as thought provoking as like you could make it out to be. So like, as I watch it like more often, I focus more on the second half of the film um, because it kind of ma- it, it makes sense of how some of these characters come up in the first half of the film, like the cowboy where he was one scene in the first half of the film telling um, Adam, like, who he has to pick to, you know, mm-hmm. lead this this film he's making. But in the second half of the film, he's literally just in the background walking in that party. And you don't even I don't even think you see his face uh, in it. So I think that just kind of goes back to with our dreams. It's we're retrieving all this data throughout our days and we'll have a dream. And we may have a dream of something that we encountered, but we didn't really think twice about so just appeared in our dream without any it didn't make any sense and i feel like that's kind of how diane who what her real name is diane when she was betty in her dream that these are just things that she has experienced throughout her time in la and uh it just kind of manifested in this almost nonsensical type of way. But like how you mentioned that in the beginning, uh, yeah, it, it is all over the place. And then once, you know, Rita has the accident and then they kind of talk and kind of figure out like, okay, you were in an accident, something happened. Let's get to the bottom of it. That's when it starts to get a little clearer path. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think it just shows overall that at some point and, Diane's time there with Camilla is her actual name. 
they had some kind of relationship where Camilla took off in her career. Uh, Diane's still struggling and now is kind of getting pushed down in, in that relationship and that jealousy, that anger, you know, manifests into what she ends up doing. Yep. I don't want to spoil it yet, but a lot of those characters that you see in the first half of her dream sequence, mm-hmm. it kind of all then fits together. Yeah, I would I would definitely I would agree with so if I'm understanding you correctly, you're saying that this should almost be treated as a like sort of a timeline of how a dream generally goes. And and to not really even think that the themes I I because I would agree with this. I'd say that the themes aren't necessarily taking precedence. It's almost a it's almost an empirical view mm-hmm. of like the path of REM sleep almost, you know. Um and and it almost kind of like you said, it reveals what Diane, like the true character, is going through. And at first it's like these wild dreams, but then they become closer to her reality and they become almost like Freudian where you're like, oh, there's like resentment there yeah. or there's fear there or envy, you know, like these these virtues kind of form through different unrelated actions compared to reality. But it doesn't matter. They're explaining the same feeling or meaning or virtue that she's like experiencing in a in a world we don't really see we don't really even actually see most of her real life i think that's an an interesting part of it is you're almost learning or reasonably guessing what she went through based on a dream she had you know right i also couldn't help but to something i was just like thinking on was that what if like the the rita or rita and the tramp are almost like somehow related and this is somehow like the tramp trying to have a life like Betty's and, you know, in a weird way too, I like, like a, well, no, I was trying to have a life like Betty's and just like wants to be like the, wants to feel like that, like hot actress in Hollywood mm-hmm. and, you know, just the, that duality, the pure opposite of like the homeless woman. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I don't know. That's mm-hmm. something I almost kind of thought like that, like, yeah, this blue thing, that's like a trap. You know what I mean? Like it's, the blue it's like cube. almost, yeah, it's like a, like a soul reversal of some kind. Yeah. I don't know. Interesting. Yeah. I didn't even think of how like the blue, the blue object, I guess you would call it mm-hmm. a, a cube, cube. Re- represents her sort of being trapped. And in a way it's like, she knows she's going to see her dream or fall in love or get hurt and it's right there and she's walking into it and like mm. i never i never thought of like how that could be interrelated i like that though and walking into it also like was also her like knowing that she was going to go to this dinner that the, the the two of them that her ex and um not even her ex her girlfriend yeah oh yeah. was that uh-huh oh, wow. they had a relationship and she was also rita's character aka camilla was also having an affair with with the director, and it was like I don't know. It was like a weird situation. It was like a power play situation. Gotcha. Where it's like, oh, I'm gonna like. So not a communicative poly situation. I don't think it was even supposed to be poly. <laughs> okay. Okay. I think it was like I'm gonna be with him. I'm just gonna take all the advantages I'm going to do to get ahead in life God. at it's the detriments also, of Naomi Watts's character. 
I feel like it's also sort of like the primacy and privilege of like a heterosexual relationship, like the incidents, like without even requiring an explanation or empathy or forgiveness, she just goes for this guy. Yep. Right. And like leaves her behind and like walking up to the dumpster, like you were saying, Diego, I like that idea of she is, she's walking into a party with this girl who's going to be with the guy and she knows there's going to be a problem and she's just walking into it anyway. You know, mm-hmm. um, that's a great, Oh, that's a yeah. good parallel. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the overall structure of the film. Oh, yeah. We, we, we got away from that. <laughs> we talked about it. Um, so whether it's to symbolize a dream, like going from like falling asleep to waking up, but like the first chunk of the film, maybe like three fourths of the film, two thirds of the film is that dream sequence. And then when you have that, snap to reality is when we're going through the cube, I guess. And then we see Naomi Watts's actual life. And it's completely different than how we've seen her before in the beginning when she was Betty. And then she transitions to Diane and that's a harsh reality. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that's pretty, I, I think, I think you could even get more vague than that. Uh, that it may just be a series of her thoughts. Like sure. It could be a dream. It could also be her memories or like, things she saw on TV or things that she mm-hmm. is dreading. Um, I feel like if we commit a hundred percent to the dream, we like run into problems compared to like the safest bet is like, well, it's all her perspective. Right. I feel like that's the most uncontroversial like take of it. And then yeah. more specifically, is it a dream? Is it a memory? Is it a, a objective recording of events like that? I feel like it's more controversial. Mm-hmm. I have a take that might be controversial. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm going to hold off on it until we explain the movie a little bit more. I'm going to be on the edge of my seat. <laughs> yeah, Good. I know. You told me something. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk a little bit more about Naomi Watts' character. We kind of did like an overview of her, but like she is like the central theme of this film, I think, mm-hmm. because this whole movie is like this fallen actress. Like she goes like almost that parable of like the person flying uh to the sun too close to the sun melts his wings um, falls into the ocean yes yes yeah like when i was watching this i mean i didn't know what i was expecting i went into this blind like you diego Mm -hmm. and i was like what the fuck am i watching and by the end of the film like this all makes sense kind of but like you see like after seeing all the way to the end then you start making these inferences with the first few scenes. It's like, oh, now it all makes sense. With her character, it was like she came to Hollywood with a dream to being this uh, successful actress, and she was cut short by someone else, this Camilla Rhodes. Mm-hmm. And in the dream, Camilla Rhodes is this beautiful blonde, um, and her friend, uh, her lover, is Rita, who's actually in real life. Camilla Rhodes. This is going to get very complicated very quick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I forgot the name change like that. Yeah. Um, I feel like this needs to be like a visual podcast and we should have like a whiteboard <laughs> with the names and pictures and arrows. Like always yeah. sunny. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like the theory board. <laughs> the like Voxer Vice, yeah. you know, thing where they have all these graphs popping yeah. up. You know? yeah. like, See, this person's connected to this person. If you go over <laughs> here, they're actually connected here. <laughs> I, uh, I'm sorry. Am I interrupting you? What's that? Something? I was just going to say like now that seeing the intro as a, uh, as like a, a dream almost in, uh, Naomi Watts's mind, 
I'm getting confused by these names. I'm going by actresses. By Naomi Watson's <laughs> mind uh, was that she she's like I like almost with the fact that Camilla was um, threatened to be shot and that she had like survived that car wreck oh, almost yeah. is is like Naomi Watts's character is like God I just want this person to just die and be out of my life but <laughs> right. I, I like don't want him to be gone gone so in almost in like in a dream where you almost kind of see somewhere like i don't know i mean you really relate back to your own dreams where i mean I, shit i've looked up so many dream meetings it's crazy <laughs> so it's it's like the dream where you're like you want something to go away mm-hmm. almost like oh i just imagine myself taking this ball and just uh, seeing myself being able to throw it like up, like above the clouds, but then I turn around and the ball is still there. It's almost like that thing, like that her, it represents like her connection to her. Of like, I know I need her to be gone, whether it's by someone else's hands or by some accident, mm-hmm. but no matter what, she's still going to be there. Like right. she's still going to like, even if I just, you know, and even the name changes could even be like trying to move on from relationships. But the thing is, is like that, that like that um presentation of like of your ex is always there <laughs> <laughs> so well, I don't know. right yeah it's it's interesting cuz when it's an ex you want to you want to reconcile or 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 what's the word uh you want to basically save your own sense of self mm-hmm. and if you're guilty of something you can't do that so i feel like you're right where she's trying to imagine how her environment these people in it that have like hurt her or betrayed her yeah. and all this other stuff how that environment could be rearranged in such a way that she's a better person from it like they're gone or they're hurt or they're humiliated or sidelined and the whole time she's humble and she's as dirty to like defend her own dignity basically. Right. You know? yeah, yeah. Right. Anthony, do you have anything to say about that? Well, I think it goes back to what you mentioned earlier and just having that power. And, um, yeah, it was all these people in her real life have, like you said, wronged her and hurt her, especially Rita slash Camilla. So just her dream was just maybe an, ideological version of what she wanted her life to be like and um you know and and hang on to that because clearly when she went to that party at the end and she knew see i don't think she knew that the camilla in the dream the blonde who we don't really actually know her real name it's just a stand-in to that's the antagonist she's the one that destroyed my life not my lover Right. Somebody else. So she is right. Cause I don't know if she knew, maybe she knew she would be there, but um, yeah, the moment that she saw her kiss Camilla, I'm trying to like get all my names straight here. The one who was singing in the booth. And, yeah, yeah. So in the yeah. dream, she was the singer who was the actress that needed to be cast in this film in real life. Yeah. We need this specific actor to yeah. be in the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You could go through all the other actors, but you will pick this person. So yeah. now that I'm like talking about, it, I feel like there's more of a connection with the meaning of her needing to be cast in that movie and how, what she actually is in real life. 
Well, I, I feel like they're almost saying that the status, the name and the reputation of Camilla, it's almost like she's trying to believe, you know, the way people excuse dictators of like, oh, they're not a bad person. They were just doing what they had to in the system. And it was like an unfortunate necessity or whatever. People said this about Stalin, about Pinochet, any mm-hmm. ideology you take. Mm-hmm. And there's this. There's this thing of where defenders really want to pull the humanity out of somebody that commits atrocities. And like Camilla basically committed an atrocity on her life, but she's in love with her. Right. She still has strong feelings. So she's trying to separate like the part of her that she has this deep love of from the part of her. That's this status and this star that is as she moves through the system, she's hurting, you know, her more and more and more. And um I, I, I thought it, that it's it's almost like we're watching her common sense, like struggle and transform her idea of cause and effect. I really like your usage of the word ideology, because I feel like this is exactly the whole movie is about how her ideology fails her. Mm-hmm. Like, well, she won't go far. Well, that's not what matters. Well, this isn't what happens. And it's like, well, it is. And your logic is becoming illogical because your ideology doesn't work, you know? So then if, if, and if this is like that dreamlike movie, um, was with, uh, Rita wearing the blonde wig was almost like her kind of coming to grits that she's like, like going back. She's starting to wake up and that she's realizing that, damn, that person that Rita is trying to be, I'm trying to be Rita. And it's like just this weird kind of flipped thing. So oh, see, I almost thought it was the other way around, but similar where she's trying to say like, oh, well, Rita needed to adopt my traits, my oh. blonde hair. She needed my common sense. I was a good force on her. Uh-huh. Like I made her success and she yeah, twisted yeah, it or yeah, something yeah. like the like jealousy of it's interesting, too, that it's like a white woman doing this and she's making like a Mexican actress put on the blonde hair mm-hmm. and telling herself like, well, now she's not naive. And she got that from me. Like it, I thought that was almost like the the underlying message of her trying to like reassure herself in this weird twisted way that she was important in her life. Mm-hmm. And she probably wasn't. I mean, if right. you, if you made the movie about anyone else, it'd be like, yeah, there was this like weirdo who was like tagging along and got jealous and made a scene at a party. And oh, I didn't even remember until you brought it up. Like <laughs> you could imagine the main character would kind of be like that. It You're dealing with a main character who's almost fundamentally unimportant. You know, like like the Blade Runner 2049 character where he sorry if anybody's <laughs> I don't know. Is it about K? Is it OK? That I'm about my boy K. It's Ryan Gosling. It's 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 it, I don't want to like spoil things, but you kind of learn how that main character is not very important yeah. in their world. And this is another case of that. This person is not very important mm-hmm. and they're making up a story about how they're important, you know. Mm-hmm. Right. Because the whole film is. Uh, Naomi Watts's idealized vision of how her entire, well, since going to Hollywood, mm-hmm. played out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she yeah. went to the audition, nailed it. The directors, the producers, are like, oh yeah, she's the one. That was amazing. She meets this woman, falls in love, has this very romantic relationship with her, have this trusting relationship, and like actuality, everything was the opposite of that. Yeah. She went, she went to Hollywood, didn't make it at all. Uh, she felt like there's a conspiracy. Her lover that she meets just uses her, uses her way to get to the top, to get mm-hmm. the audition, to get the role. And it's like everything that could go wrong did go wrong. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and it's great that you say that because it's almost like 
she never really needed her, right? Like, oh, she needed her if she had been running away from a car accident and like naive and needed shelter. That would be the only position in which she would be in a superior position. Otherwise, by the sound of it, she was just the more talented actress. And the other person, like they lacked compersion and they were just fraught with jealousy. Mm -hmm. It seems like, you know, and the, the ideology, like you were saying, comes out of that, you know? I guess the typical kind of Hollywood uh, trope of like, yeah, we we need like a, a a blonde white woman to play the role. Yeah. And then, yeah. you know, just like that where it, and then but now we have like this. Which I, I mean, obviously, I should have. Because they're perfect. She was what like, other so, reason? Do you no, use? I was going to say that. Like, I should have seen that uh, that like the whole Rita thing, you know, and like the like kind of. POC versus taking this mm-hmm. white woman's role, I guess. So, yeah, it, it's interesting that then in real life, she has like her whole natural hair and natural look. And in her dream, she had to be like whitened, basically. And like the dream of the main white character, like, well, she needed that. You know, that's oh. what, that's what I keep going back to of like Damn. inventing a necessity. Yeah. Or because like in Naomi Watch's dream, mm-hmm. idealized version of what happened. Mm-hmm. So like we have... Uh, Laura Haring's character split into two different people. Mm-hmm. So Camilla Rhodes, who's who she is in real life, she's actually this other person, this like idealized white woman, blonde hair, mm-hmm. and like her physically, her uh, a Hispanic black hair. Yeah, she was perfect. She was like, oh, this is the perfect lover. And that sequence that you talked about, where she's like, oh, like put on the wig because you're hiding from, you know, it's obviously a hit on you. Someone's trying to kill you. Mm-hmm. Not me, someone else. <laughs> and so as a disguise, she makes her with the blonde hair and mm-hmm. kind of lightened her skin. I think to me, that was her saying like, you're more like me now. And who do oh. I want to be with someone that's like me? Oh. <laughs> that's a that's a great take on it mm-hmm. i feel like are you are you easing us into your big theory because no. i'm still on the edge of my seat of <laughs> actually a little bit okay oh, so yeah i guess there is i i mean obviously you also have to ask yourself like mental health is diane okay you know like no. it's right but, <laughs> right no right which uh which you know i was like what if this is like a manifestation we're watching like her um mental health like being man- manifested like the anxiety mm-hmm. she had talked about right how she had like she was with her parents in the beginning of the movie right something like that so she left home to go to hollywood to be a star yeah she's from like i think ontario yeah somewhere in ontario oh yeah. that's right that's right. one of our people the midwest <laughs> ontario canada right Abut. but then you said the midwest and i was very confused yeah it's in the middle yeah. Well, it depends where in Ontario. You know, it borders really? like Michigan, Minnesota. And then it goes all the way to like Whoops. Maine. <laughs> yeah, you take the map, you just draw two lines. See, it's right above us. Yeah. Midwest. <laughs> but I love how they say the Middle West, you know. It's almost like somebody who's never been to the Midwest is like mm-hmm. retroactively imagining the naive, like big city girl from the Middle West. Well, like... They never said they were in the United States, so. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> it's i mean yeah sorry I, I i i was here to hear whatever you're about to say so let's talk about when they snap back to reality she looks really rough kind of like a drug addict <laughs> yeah. doing meth she probably i think it's implied in the beginning she's doing cocaine because there's like snorting some cutting on the table yeah it sounds like she's doing coke but like she obviously looks really bad it's 
quite a stark difference from like her idealized vision of herself as Betty and then the reality of her as Diane. So like we snap back to reality. She has that betrayal moments of like her lover is actually didn't give a shit about her. She's like trying to go with this director. So then she hires a hitman. And now we're, oh, yeah. <laughs> we're back in that diner that we first talked about in this mm-hmm. podcast. What was it called again? Lucky oh, Winkies. 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 Yeah. So we're back at Winkies and she's talking to a hitman, the guy that we saw in a vignette earlier in the film, which we thought was not at all related. He's like trying to kill this guy and it goes wrong in every single way. He's like, oh shit, no, I have to kill this girl. Oh fuck, the janitor sees me and I have to kill him. Yeah, got off the janitor tonight. <laughs> so like we have that hitman moment where she's like paying the hitman, like, okay, I need you to kill Camilla Rhodes. And, you know, I think... Going back to the beginning of the film, we have that same hitman killing somebody else and it goes wrong. So like, (laughs) yeah, the vacuum and the whole thing goes off the rails. So like we have this hitman character in her dream and in her dream, she imagines him botching the job or killing somebody else. So it's like, even though he likes, she put this hit on her and the dude was like, you know, if you pay me, it's a done deal. It's going to happen. So like in her idealized mind, it didn't go through. She's still alive. She survives the car crash in the beginning of the film. So that's where it links back. Mm-hmm. So it's like, oh, they didn't kill her. She lived. I, I met her. I took care of her. I shielded her from, from people. So it's like, that's her idealized vision for all of that. And I feel like there's something to be said. It's almost like an archetype that you see over and over with like, even like with men against women or like white people versus POCs that you create a system that hurts a person and then you want to save them from that system and look good, you know, while doing it like 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 the white the, savior syndrome in the in like what white savior syndrome. Right. Or like even with men where we create sort of this violent public space and then we want to keep a woman safe sort of like. Like it's this it's this, oh, I want to be in a position of power. And how do we know what social power is? It's where you can both cause the problem and empathetically offer the solution, you know, and that's her that's her power fantasy in the movie. Almost like she does the hit and then she offers to save her after doing the hit almost, you know, exactly. I had watching this movie. I never considered like the cultural aspect of like whitewashing or anything like that, but (laughs) like never was on my radar in the slightest. But now that you mention it and then going back to the club silencio scene, that's the first time where like her culture comes out and you get to kind of see like Mm. who she is. And maybe this was something she enjoyed to do. Mm -hmm. Speaking of uh, Rita slash Camilla. So yeah. I thought that was interesting that that was kind of because that was the the moment then where she woke up from the dream. So the moment that Rita was in because she woke up in the middle of the night in the dream saying, I need you to come with me somewhere. That was the first time where Rita dictated like what they were going to do and mm. got uh, Betty slash Diane to go with her. So she was dictating terms and, you know, whatever the representation of Club Silencio is, that's, you know, I think, you know, important to her waking up and uh, seeing that, you know, Rita had the had some more. We're starting to get that power back. 
Okay. I, I really like that idea because there's a, I, I feel like there's a moment if we're dreaming of someone that we think we know deeply well, whether we like or hate them or whatever, we can have this vivid image of things that they're probably going to do. And then it's interesting. You bring up that like, that's Rita's culture. She's Mexican. It's a Mexican singer. And you have somebody who's dreaming of her. And I don't know if you guys have had this happen in dreams, but you're like dreaming of like your, you know, dead grandparent or an ex. And then they do something and you know, they're about to do something. You never understood how they did it or what they were going to do. It was a fundamentally unique part of them that escaped your empathy. Right. And like, like, oh, I never got how she did that, but that's what she would do or or he or whatever. And I feel like that's the moment of maybe, like you said, maybe this was a part of her culture that like the, the uh, Betty slash um, Diane. Sorry, what was her? What her was real it? name is Diane. Okay, her Betty name slash Betty. Diane. Yeah. Right. Like that. That's like almost like a part of her. Yeah, I got that feeling watching the movie of like she's encountering this horizon of Rita slash Camilla. She doesn't understand. Yep. And and it becomes apparent the dream isn't working. Uh-huh. The dream isn't real because Rita's become too big for the dream. You know. Well, or like the cultural disconnect. Yeah, 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 yeah. It, it it's like heavily implied to be the cultural disconnect. And maybe it could be an individual, but it's like, like you said, you get the feeling that it's like, there's no indicator that Betty can speak Spanish or listens to Spanish speaking music or anything. Right. And, and, and she's still pulled maybe by the way that she loves Rita or slash Camilla, she's still pulled into her world and her interests, but she doesn't understand them. You know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, absolutely. It's kind of, um, because uh, I think during uh, during the opera singing, I don't think Rita was crying. I don't know if Diane was, though. She was, like, filled with, like, a terrified wonder. It yeah, she like. started, like, seizing. Yeah. Right. Like, it was too much. Yeah. 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 Kind of, sh- yeah, shows that disconnect. You know? Yeah. That whole sequence was so avant-garde because, <laughs> like, the whole theme, unless I didn't get it. It was like it. Everything is not what you see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like oh, you thought I was playing this instrument. I wasn't. There's a track. <laughs> yeah, and then like the woman singing, which you thought was real, then she faints in the middle of the song, and the song keeps on playing. And it's like oh, she wasn't singing. So you know that like, happened on uh, SNL with uh, what's the <laughs> Ashley? Yeah, Ashley Simpson. Yep. <laughs> then she does an Irish jig. Yeah, <laughs> runs off the stage. <laughs> I think that scene that was just a very deliberate like message, like everything you've just watched. I think it, I think it is a dream. Like, I think it was just very like, this is a dream. This was a dream. I think in, in it, cause the it, dream has been, was mentioned so much in the movie mm-hmm. that it's almost like right. if it's not, then what was the purpose of like alluding to this throughout the film? But I think just that scene was just very deliberate. Like, we're kind of giving you mm-hmm. like this is kind of what you just watched. Mm-hmm. Now we're gonna put everything upside down, and this is really what's going on. The reality. Yeah. The guy said this is pre-recorded. Yep. So yeah. I can't believe the yeah, <laughs> just like the same like this has all already happened. We're just like seeing it in a different light. You know? I think people right. who argue the dream meaning they're looking for how 
how all the answers fit into a categorization of a dream. But Mm -hmm. I think David Lynch, like I, like I said earlier, I think he's more interested in getting you to ask questions or attempt to answer questions. So that characterization of a dream is to maybe justify all the questions being asked. It doesn't need to follow real life logic. It needs to follow a logic that binds all of these questions about our character together. You know? Mm -hmm. Ooh. Okay. Oh, <laughs> Armand's looking. Ah, okay. Does this mean you're going to bring out your theory? I'm going to bring out my theory. Now. Yes. Okay. Okay. So we talked a lot about dreams and it does make sense. Okay. Mm-hmm. But let's take it another step further than that. Because like when we get that snap to reality, when we go through, I feel like Eminem, every time I say that. Snap back to reality. <laughs> <laughs> that was when you said that for the first time, I was like, and I'm going to bite my tongue. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, and then we go through the blue box. But well, before we go into my theory, Diane is there like a symbolism with the blue box or is it I just the, I was I thinking can't. just, is there a symbolism with bl- the color blue? And just uh, there is a blue or... gel sequence in the club silencio. Remember where they're sitting there? It's all blue. But just like, well, there's blue velvet. Is this yeah. is blue? Is David Lynch have something behind the color blue? There's a reason. Maybe. Twin Peaks fire walk with me. Fire can be blue. So I'm stretching. <laughs> well, no, because I, I, I mean, here's like the angle I would give before. I want to go back to your thing, Armand, but, okay. but real quick, um, I was listening to this like bioengineering guy uh, okay. talk a while back and he was talking about how he thought that bodies were not just a neural system. And that was the only system that thought and reacted. He was talking about how you apply electricity to a growing embryo and it grows different body parts based on if the like charge matches that stem cell charge, essentially. Wow. And the, the point of all of that discussion was to basically say if if the purpose of like a reproductive system is to adjust to the environment while it's reproducing and the purpose of a digestive system is to adjust to the environment while you're digesting. What's the purpose of consciousness? What's the purpose of communication? And he said maybe the per- the purpose of it, including art and including communication, is to try to convey consciousness to another consciousness. And David Lynch getting into all this meditation and all this, I think he wants to get away from words and he wants to literally get to how blue affects our consciousness. Mm, Not okay. even like a, an enumerated list of words, but something more apophatic than that. Like, how does blue make you feel? Blue makes us all feel the same way, whether it's positive or negative. Mm -hmm. It's this range, but we don't even have words for the range, you know? Mm. Yes. (laughs) No, it's okay. We're getting into color theory now. Okay. Okay. No, no, no. It was more about the consciousness and the meditation than the color itself. Okay. it's, It's sort of how music without any words everyone will agree it's a sad song or a happy song mm-hmm. or maybe they'll say it's one or the other but they'll agree it's energetic or peaceful yes. and color is kind of the same way and i know diego's even bigger about this than me of like the effect that a color will just have on a mood i have uh, a google uh, search of the color blue and its meaning the color of trust <laughs> actually um Looking it up was my job. Don't jump to that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So the color blue represents both the sky and the sea and is associated with open spaces, freedom, intuition, imagination, inspiration, and sensitivity. Blue also represents meanings of death, depth, trust, loyalty, 
sincerity, wisdom, confidence, stability, faith, and intelligence. That's a lot. So all that together, is there an overarching thing we could describe all of that as? Um, it's kind of sounds, uh, it sounds like peace and it sounds like peace within, uh, yourself around you. And, you know, when you have loyalty, it's because you have peace with that person. When you're trying, um, you know, when you are in an open space, you think of like the ocean, the sky, <laughs> even if it's a bad situation. Yeah, because yeah. it gave me a sense of like finality because the blue, the box and the key represented the end of her dream. Mm-hmm. And that was just kind of like a relief. The dream's over. And then the blue key represents that the deed has been done and Camilla was killed. But that I think how we see Diane in that post dream sequence mm-hmm. was her reaction to realizing like what actually happened. So I think when I first watched this movie a few times, I, I was under the impression that Diane was just like this, not washed up, just this failure of, Mm -hmm. of what she thought she could be. Yeah. For the first time watching it the other day, I feel like that's not how she was necessarily. I think it was just a product of like the realization of like, just how any of us would feel if we put a hit out mm. on somebody, <laughs> just it, it'll eat away at you. And I think it was just that guilt that we were seeing. We were just seeing a, a little like piece of time of what she was going through, but I don't necessarily feel anymore. Like that was a representation of just like the moment she got to Hollywood to that point, the end of her dream, the end of the movie, mm-hmm. the end of her life. That final sequence, let's get into it. The final sequence where the grief and the regrets eating away at her got to the point where she chooses to commit suicide. And that scene where she is being tormented by, I think, the people that she uh, left the, town the from. The grandparents yeah. or whatever that she meets that represent, like, hospitality or just mm-hmm. at least broadly perform that. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So they were there antagonizing her down a hallway. She gets to the bed, grabs a gun. Shoots her in the head. And that scene was blue. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So there was this relief, this release, peace, finality. 
We go through the box. That's the end of the dream sequence. Mm -hmm. And then after that, she commits suicide. Pretty much the end of the movie and end of her life. So here's my theory. So it's not only just a dream. It's a DMT drop. Her recounting her life, except idealized version of her life before her brain stops functioning for Hmm. good. That's interesting because... I would. I was about to like interrupt you partway through, and I'm known to interrupt. And I was Diego was like, Ugh. but um, I, I was going. <laughs> I was going to say that like, I feel like that the suicide being a choice, suicide. I think people make a big deal out of successful suicide, right? right. But a lot of people will do it in the moment and you'll hear about people who survived their attempt talking about regret or talking about, even if they don't regret it, like a lack of perspective and to see somebody rush and get the gun out and like that whole ending felt almost like it was her just like, like the same thing as being stressed out and you just start cooking a bunch of food or you you're mad about ants. So you just start stomping them instead of going to home Depot and buying raid. It's this undisciplined spur of the moment choice that I think even if it, I I feel like she didn't do that much thinking. I think she kind of, like you said, she just simmered on feeling horrible and then pulled a gun out and killed herself. And if you were retroactively looking at this person after finding their body and you're like, oh, my God, what happened? It's like, well, you know, she did some shitty shit and then she died. Like, it, she, right. it's not this great, wonderful, like she plans it out and lights some candles and whatever. She just kind of pops herself off in a moment of passion you know it was erratic it was like it was you know it was you know if we're talking about like david lynch like conveying consciousness Mm -hmm. like imagine someone coming to that decision and it's like the whole world is in turmoil that's what was happening like she was in the hallway like there's like wind it was like a giant storm happening a fog effects lightning and then Spur of the moment, grabs a gun, immediately shoots herself in the head. Yeah. And and I feel like a lot of David Lynch, like people compare him to like Tarkovsky. Have you guys ever watched a Tarkovsky film? Um, I own one. I haven't watched it yet. <laughs> okay. They're really slow. They're, re- they're great, but they're slow. Have you watched and- one? Um, I don't think so. They're, they're incredibly, it's like you, you brought them up when we were at the music box. You're like, oh, right, right. Battle Soviet director. Oh, it's Battle of Algiers. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, no, no. Not Battle for Algiers. That's a, that's a different, that's a docudrama gotcha. Gotcha. about gotcha. like decolonization. But, but Tarkovsky makes these slow, big movies. And my point is that like David Lynch, you feel like the logic follows the logic of consciousness. It doesn't follow deductive logic or explicit relationships. And, the difference to me is that like when you have someone Tarkovsky, they have this like nobility of consciousness, like sure it's irregular, illogical, but people have like sort of a, a grace to themselves and David Lynch, nobody's that far from their animalistic instincts. Even the people who have power over Betty slash uh, Diane uh, sort of, they they're they're like they're just go they're they're after money or they're after sex or they're after fame they don't have it more figured out than her they're just not dealing with the trauma she's dealing with so she's acting in a more embarrassing way but i i didn't really get the feeling that even like even like rita slash camilla was necessarily smarter or more brilliant she just happened to be a better actress in a system that only cared if like she was a better actress and arguably like more beautiful you know 
wasn't sitting alone in her apartment sort of having a... It also helps <laughs> that she's fucking the director. Yes. Okay, yeah, then the nepotism comes back. Oh, yeah, there was a... I had, yeah, heavy Weinstein vibes, especially from the older oh, um, yeah, actor. Yes. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and and sort of... I think, though, that he leaves it ambiguous as to, like, did she get the job because she slept with him, or did she both get the job and sleep with him because she's a good actress. Both, you know, and, uh, and well, because she's willing like, to go the extra mile. And apparently <laughs> Diane didn't do that in her audition. She probably was wide eyed and like, Oh, I'm going to be a star. While Camilla's like, I know what to do. Now, see, I don't look at it that way at all. I think it was just outgrowing that relationship. Yeah. Not necessarily like, oh, I need this part. I'm going to fuck him and I'm going to get this role. <laughs> yeah, I think, no, I agree with that 100%. I think it, it was just a progression of they obviously had something meaningful at some point. Mm-hmm. Their their lives and their careers started to branch out into different ways. And Diane got left behind. And okay. this Camilla being with the director, just that's just where her life took her. Because did we know that she got a role? What we don't, we can't assume that no, she has. It was a implied role. from the dream that, well, I mean, it was Diane's interpretation, like, oh, there must have been a conspiracy mm-hmm. to hire Camilla Rhodes because mm. the producers, the higher ups, the executives wanted specifically her. Right. Mm-hmm. I think it was just. I just feel it was just that's where they were in that m- moment in time. They grew apart. And but Diane was still holding on to what they had. And, you know, she sees her ex-lover, you know, reaching these great heights and just basically jealous jealousy. And, you know, who knows why they, you know, was it the career, you know, going in separate directions? The reason we don't know that. But I don't feel like, you know, it was as like. Well, so it, you're it's saying- funny because thinking back. Sorry, as a side note, to like my own relationships, to fall into a relationship feels so like incidental, right? Mm-hmm. Like somebody's in your proximity and you go after them. But then when it's over, whoever they pick next, you're not thinking, oh, they're as incidental as I was. You're like, oh, they're either like they're they're so much better than me, but that must be a cold hearted relationship or like they're way worse than me. That person fell down or like, oh, they're the same and they have a type like you, you're you're immediately framing whatever comes next. And you could see that, like, what if to uh, Camilla, I'm, I'm mixing up these names so much, <laughs> Rita slash Camilla. What if she just both incidentally was like, oh, Diane's a hookup. We're both new actors, whatever. Like, this is an easy fuck. And then the director it's like yeah we're on set all the time but hey we're following it and we're getting engaged obviously wasn't like maybe if it started opportunistic but she just kind of slid into you know the director's sort of it's uh, opportunistic for uh camilla's character because like uh before the director walked in on his wife having sex with the pool boy so it's like well clearly (laughs) we're done there so (laughs) camilla's like here's my chance is but do we even know if the director was like mayor because his whole personal life is an invention of the dream, right? Mm-hmm. Like we don't right. know if he's actually living in a ratty hotel or a mansion or has a wife or is divorced. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Right, well, you, know. She, you know, she's trying to imagine who, what's so great about this guy. What, mm-hmm. what if he's like having financial troubles? What if he's like just can't quite get it together at work? You know, mm-hmm. it's kind of like showing like, oh, I bet he's not even shit. 
You know yeah. what I mean? So, like, I love how, like, he comes home and his wife is getting fucked by Billy Ray Cyrus. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, and then he just takes all of her jewelry and just starts covering it in yeah. pain. Like, oh, that was... That was Man, great. yeah, that was so, like... Well, Without saying a word. Yeah, he yeah. just, like, goes and gets it. He's like, all right, I know a way to get to her heart. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, man. And that's how Miley Cyrus was born. Billy <laughs> Ray's like... Bro, what the fuck? <laughs> Don't talk to your wife like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was funny too. And it, I was, and then you uh, got to see the uh, the power tier list. Mm-hmm. Uh, director gets knocked out by Billy Ray. Billy Ray gets knocked out by Henchman. Yep. So <laughs> now, now we have a, a power hierarchy. There's always a bigger fish. Mm. <laughs> See what you did there. Yeah. I, think I saw it and I collapsed. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's also interesting how she, her whole idea in the dream of how the world functions is by everyone giving each other explicit directions. And her career kind of floundered because there's no explicit directions on yeah. what to do. But it's like, right. oh, the director must be like fighting his own explicit instructions over this mysterious cowboy. And everyone's being told exactly what they have to do. And even if they have to defy, it i feel like that's still easier than real life which is like nobody tells you things clearly everything's implied you're in a social circle trying to figure out motivations they're not just hilariously thrown up in the air right right and and i think that's what drove her nuts about rita slash camilla that like the relationship's ambiguous and then she's clearly out and nobody told her when to fight and when not to fight and give her space and her her clearly her worldview is based on like all these explicit things and they don't actually work out the ambiguity the ambiguity is the truth like mm-hmm. her ideology is not the truth to go back to the word anthony used you know right it's kind of like those who fall into conspiracy theories yeah and like yeah. like yeah, yeah. you want to humanize a systemic problem you're like there's got to be a person letting yeah. your intrusive thoughts run your reality and diane does that she lets her intrusive thoughts run her reality because it's like well obviously it's not because of my shortcomings it's not because the world is random and it's like Mm -hmm. people were there at the right time no it's like there's this grand conspiracy they need to hire that specific person it's like all these different threads (laughs) the guy at the cowboy hat he's the he's a ringleader and it's like (laughs) no (laughs) that's not what's happening and at the end of it God is a homeless person, you know, (laughs) to me, it's remarkable about how close to reality that is, because I feel like you have a lot of people, especially like the QAnon or like populist right, who, you know, they look at these crises we've had of like Epstein and um, Weinstein and like Trump. A lot of these celebrities that we found out are unethical and their first reaction is like, well, yeah, they're like a bad group and there's got to be more from the same group of people. And instead, I feel like the the better answer is like well no like people that succeed in a system just do what they have to do to succeed in a system and if you have a bad system it's going to steer people into perpetuating that right like like everybody i I remember there was this argument this political argument online and this conservative made this remark about um uh it was about a, a slave who was freed in like the 1850s like right before the civil war broke out and basically the the slave was black became successful moved somewhere got a whole bunch of slaves got a bunch of plantation but got a plantation mm-hmm. and the argument was like oh we'll see like they're just as bad or whatever and it's like no 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 the problem is that the system takes somebody's intelligence and gives them motivations right. and gives them goals that give them power and if that arrangement of motivations and goals it 
yields an evil unethical power, we have a systemic problem. And the cheaper answer is, well, the people suck that are doing this. And, you know, you just got to get a good old Christian boy running things or, you know, your good old <laughs> girl next door or whatever. <laughs> I, I think it's like a fool's errand to go in search of the right people. And it it you almost see that with with uh, with Diane, where she doesn't realize she's on like the wrong side of an unethical system. She's like looking at these people with resentment, you know, right like, across the dinner table. Right. You know? It's just people that take advantage of a broken system. Yeah. yeah. Listen, I just took advantage of it. Yeah. Yeah. I, what did Trump say? Like, I benefited from the tax cuts just like you. That's why they're bad. You know, see, me, I, you know, took advantage of it. So that's why I need to get rid of it. Yeah. And, and, and I think that actually, that's really relevant, though, because, mm-hmm. because people looked at Trump and said, well, he's called out all these injustices. So he's on our side. Well, he's not. He's just nakedly doing the same thing and being honest about it and that honesty doesn't really like have a lot of power to change behind it it's 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 ultimately just a different aesthetic of the same power Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. and and so just being upfront about it instead (laughs) of not being upfront. Mm -hmm. yeah exactly exactly and and i think you're dealing with with diane who's she she's living in sort of a coded ambiguous world and she's so sure that there are just crappy people in it Mm -hmm, and it's like well no your dream of going to hollywood that's sort of like your dream of winning the lotto or getting rich on a ponzi scheme like maybe it's noble and maybe you're a motivated individual but you're walking into a morally corrupt system Mm -hmm. you know oh because the idealized betty naomi watts's character yeah lives in this i mean it's her aunt's house but like this you know beautiful house beautifully furnished and then seeing her in real life Sent back to reality. <laughs> it's like a crack den. It's dirty. Yeah. She's disheveled. She has like no food or cupboards yeah. are empty. It's yeah. like, whoa, no wonder you fell into QAnon, essentially. Yeah, yeah. And she's literally like, I mean, to be explicit, like you said, she's it's implied she's doing drugs. I mean, she's sitting there like masturbating in an empty house and yes. dreaming of how to kill people who have wronged her. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. it's like, no, it's really what we would say like incels do or or like she's somebody, an incel. Yeah, she's on, she's on the transgressive fringe of society. She's mm-hmm. on 4chan. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, it's, I think it's I think it's interesting how they yeah. like they give her like a very sympathetic position where you can't just be like, oh, well, that's like a gross fat guy. You know, she's like very like beautiful and fallen and naive. And it's all the things to like pity a person like that. Right. But ultimately, she's still like. I just expect a- to not be um, like a mean person. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, right. Going back to like, I, I can't do no wrong. I did everything right. You know yeah. What I mean? yeah. Yeah. The yeah. problem isn't me. And, and, and I yeah. think it's interesting that. Uh, something I read, I don't know how true this is, is that people judge themselves and the people they love by their intentions, but they judge everybody else, including the people they hate by their actions. Oh, my God. <laughs> I love it. It's yeah. true. It's so true. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's like I've had moments of like love or hate where I stop myself and I remember that axiom and I'm like, wait a minute. Like, am I, is, is this friend like dragging me down? But I know their intentions are good, but they're a mess. And it's like, well, anyone else, if they're a mess, I wouldn't be this forgiving. Like, yeah, yeah. It's almost right. as, it's almost as if like, is this like when you reflect back on your own life and you're like, is this? do I have space for this? Like, mm-hmm. is this something that I can like help with? And then if sometimes you have to ask yourself, it's like, I kind of feel helpless in this situation. Mm-hmm. It's like best to just 
look at the color blue and feel <laughs> peace and tranquility. And also, like, I mean, I feel like you guys have maybe had touched on this, but like her just kind of showing her dead too is almost yeah. like she's right. just like, you know, her yes, maybe she did commit I'm sorry, I did miss the part where she actually did like end her life. You didn't watch that? No, I did, but I was like Were you sleeping? No, I was not sleeping. I there were times though where I like got up. It dozed off. I got up for something real quick and I was like, I can't I really don't have time to pause this. I have to let it keep playing. So I did not account for bathroom breaks, let me tell you guys. So it's a demanding movie. It's good though. I would yeah. love to rewatch it. I have it for another two days on Amazon Prime. There you go. Because yeah. so, <laughs> he didn't finish the rental. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Um but yeah, like her her just like being dead is almost like her just like um just the um the imagery of it was just like how she felt post relationship. Like she just can't quite move on. Yeah. She's just trying to get it together, but she can't. She's like a shell of who she was. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like yeah. really. Oh, and then when she brought Rita into the room, it's almost like with the dead she, body. And she's yeah. almost like expecting Rita to look at what you've done. But like, this is what I, this is what I am going through. Help me. You know yeah. what I mean? So. And it, her face was disfigured, so you don't know yeah, at you that point yeah. that it's actually Naomi Watts. And also, the other woman that was in the other apartment, was that almost like Diane's like rebound? It was a rebound. Yeah, yeah. I thought so. But when they called the, vo- the phone in the voicemail, that's yeah. Diane's voice. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I didn't notice that until the second or David third time Lynch. I watched yeah. it. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, David Lynch just surprises me because like I'm watching this and I'm like, I know everything has a purpose. Mm-hmm. Everything is there for a reason. Mm-hmm. And it all comes together when you but, finish but, the film. It's yeah. like, oh my God. It's But like I said earlier, I think the purpose is often not an explanation. It's another question directed at you. Like, you know, he David Lynch knows, or it seems like he knows that people instinctively put their life in other people's lives into a narrative. And he's going to play with that instinct, you know, of yeah. like, well, what narratives are you putting together with this jumble yeah. of, yeah. you know, like truly pieces. a PhD in like directing because it feels it, it, it just feels like I'm watching a very, I don't know, very intelligent movie like it. You know, you you naturally know you're going to put yourself in like the main character's shoes or you're watching this and you're like. Uh, or just like any movie you're watching just because you want to have an idea of what's going on or just feel like you're in it. And, you know, it's like with that dream like kind of aspect i'm like it, you know i'm like it, it does feel like a minute like it almost feels um familiar in the sense of like how sp- just like thoughts it's just mm-hmm. like so i don't know i'm like as we talked about of course the dream state of the movie i'm like this movie's definitely like not in like chronological se- sequential order yeah right? in which everything is happening right so yeah it's it's like Pulp Fiction if it became cerebral. Oh, yeah. I was like, this felt very like Tarantino or like, you know, I guess Tarantino inspired by David Lynch, like kind of stuff. Like, I, it felt well, They like- were both sort of raised on like weird movies in the early 70s, you cool. know. Um, Do you know like some of their like standout, like some of the like almost like, oh, wow, they both said they like this movie. Yeah. So Tarantino sort of took a weird route where he worked at a video store Uh and like through the 80s, he had scripts, but he was like essentially working like the people in clerks at like a video (laughs) store and trying to get his stuff made. (laughs) And and meanwhile, David Lynch, he did uh, um, 
what do you call his first movie? The black and white one. Uh, Clerks. Yeah. Oh, Eraserhead. Eraserhead. Thank you. Oh my God. I was like, wait, David Lynch? <laughs> That's why I stopped mid, mid Eraserhead. I was like, like what? what? Like, my brain just zapped for a second. Okay, so, sorry, Eraserhead. And then, and the Blue Velvet was the one that was really, like, I feel like resembling Mulholland Driver, Twin Peaks, you know, that, mm-hmm. that sort of subconscious plot. Mm-hmm. And so that whole time, Tarantino was still working in a video store. And then, you know, of course, they both make all these movies in the 90s and 2000s. But but I think I think they both have this perspective of being raised in a city and the city's kind of grimy, but there's lots of unexpected things and things are just too big to make sense of, you know, and with Pulp Fiction, you Ooh. you don't really have anybody who like knows everything that's going on. Like the wolf guy shows up, but like he's not really a character you empathize with. He's a character you admire in Pulp Fiction. Right. And, and for the rest of them, for like. Uh, you know, John Travolta, Samuel Jackson's character, you're almost like laughing with their jokes and crying with their mm. tears. And like mm. he, he very radically humanizes all these like people like, you know, the junkie wife and all this. And I feel like David Lynch is essentially humanizing like a, a like naive Midwesterner who showed up in Hollywood and got like taken to the cleaners by the system to an experience like that, mm-hmm. that you would normally glaze over as an embarrassment, not worth analyzing, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> they are. Yeah. They are. Oh God, those men. They're something, but they're yeah. one of us, you know. Especially like Tarantino, where he worked at a video store. I don't know about you guys for like ten years or something. That's nuts. Yeah, I frequented Blockbuster growing up, mm. and I have going back to Mulholland Drive. This was my first time watching this film, mm-hmm. and then halfway through this movie, I realized, wait a minute. I've seen this before. I remember these scenes because my friends and I would get a huge stack of DVDs from, <laughs> from Blockbuster. Nice. And we were like, okay, let's go through horror films, thrillers. Mulholland Drive was one of them. Oh, yeah. And I think we fell asleep during that movie. Oh, no. I mean, it almost puts you to sleep. Oh, you know? yeah. I, I was, there was definitely a point where I was like, man, I'm pretty comfy, but I need to stay awake. Let me, <laughs> yeah. let me continue sipping my uh, Starbucks. Yeah, <laughs> double espresso. <laughs> uh, let me think. It was a... Uh, Frappuccino, uh, extra cream. It, it was a vanilla latte with three pumps of vanilla syrup. Did you go to uh-huh. Starbucks? Yeah, of course. You walked outside and went to Starbucks. Okay. You didn't so go to Wormhole? Actually, oh, the funny, Are you out of your damn mind? I almost thought about going to Wormhole. The funny thing was I woke up at 6.15, like I said, uh, because I needed toothpaste. Uh, that was another thing I did. So You I, didn't have toothpaste in your house? And Well, we're glad you used it. Oh, <laughs> guys, the question was, do I get up? Last night was, do I get up to stop these Warzone vibes with the boys or do I get toothpaste? I'll get it you, at six fifteen. Toothpaste, no, bro. I got it at six fifteen a.m. Easy trade. Come on now. Walgreens. <laughs> uh, actually, the closest one to me is uh, currently being uh, redone. Uh, the what, the bank one. No, that one is technically like point six miles away. Uh, too far. <laughs> and the uh, the other one on. Well, I'm not about to say where it is. <laughs> if you if you want to know where I live, get to know me. All right, so, uh, the other one is like 0. 0.4 miles away. Oh my god! But it's being redone, triangulated. So okay, Diego. so you no, know, I'm not even in walking distance to toothpaste. I guess I am, but it's a oh, it's a yeah. university Seven Eleven. So I'm in walking well, distance to toothpaste. Dude, I paid ten, so. almost ten dollars for two tooth. Anyway, so quick question: Inflation is like experiencing an intense gravitational field near you. 
to go to the Dollar General, my friend. So <laughs> Dollar Tree. <laughs> so um, now that we're now that my oral hygiene is all um, public, capped up, we'll yeah. say we'll, we're closing to the no cap. As I was saying, <laughs> I almost was kind of thinking to myself, I'm like, um, just like a fun question. Yeah. What big IP would you love to see David Lynch being like, holy shit, uh, for some reason, David Lynch is doing this movie. Well, let's get that joke out of the way. Do not do. I literally was going to say, I was like... One of you boys better not say Dune because I get it because it would be great. It would be awesome because later in the movie when he's having a hard time, be like, no. oh, shit, space and time. <laughs> yeah, you didn't even think about that. Yeah. Here's what, here's he what I mean. I feel like Dune was, Dune was so daunting and it needed somebody that wasn't just going to pick it up and go like, oh, yeah, there's a fan base. I'll uh, do 15 minutes of research. Like it needed something like I'm going to screw up his name. Denny Vinov. Um, the year would not be the first one to script his name. I know it's this Quebecois name, and like you know, I don't. Wait, know. what? Denis Villeneuve, Quebecois. The adjective for being from Quebec, you're Quebecois. They think they're better Quebecois? than everybody. They're French, yeah, but they're actually Canadian. An, yeah, it ends in French an O-I-S, don't like which is like a lot. <laughs> Quebecois, and Quebecois. the Canadians don't like. It. No one likes them. That's so cool. <laughs> no, I knew I had a Canadian guy I used to play online with, and I was asking him about all the parties in Canada. And there's one, there's like four major ones, and one is just about Quebec. And um, and he goes, and I'm like, well, what about them? He goes, well, they get to the debate and they just go, eh, let's talk about Quebec. And they're like, we're talking about climate change. They're like, eh, let's make it about Quebec. Like, so there's definitely tension there in Canada. I like cigarettes and a piss. <laughs> Canada's crazy, though, or Quebec specifically, because they had this big cultural revolution in the 60s where they became like a very liberal uh, group in Canada. Yeah. And we think of that now like oh of course the french and you know, the french were sex and socialism but before that point they were very like devout catholic in their identity Whoa. and they had this guy in the 40s and 50s who sort of ran like a mayor daily machine in quebec and uh, maurice duplessis and his time as as the leader was so bad that it's called the great darkness <laughs> or like la grande nocturne and he okay here's how bad he was what? right so in canada every province gets to do their own social security their own schooling their own police whatever but the federal government collects all the taxes and then doles it back out to everyone equally on a per head basis right for all okay. these things so he wanted to skim some off the top. So he goes, how do I do this? I got to like say that like more people are in school or in the police or something. So he finds out that the federal government will give a province more money if they have people in an asylum versus an orphanage. So he takes a bunch of orphans and gives them lobotomies so he can collect the federal aid money for people in asylum. Yeah, this is how bad the guy was. And he was like the epitome of like Quebec conservatism. So when you wonder like, why did they never go back to that? It's like Chicago never going back to a Republican, you know, mayor. Because yeah. our, our last Republican mayor like threw grenades at his political opponents and robbed everyone. So. What? Yeah. <laughs> so, so, what? <laughs> I don't know. How we got this far into Quebec, but <laughs> okay. So we need a movie on this. Yeah, no, I'm tell I'm saying that because this guy, people make movies about like Nixon or like whatever president. They're like, oh, they're scummy. Nobody took orphan children and like lobotomized them. That's hor. That is like such a movie villain to have. You know, this guy. 
Uh, oh my god. Yeah. But why are you comparing him to Richard Daly? Well, you know, it's the same like favors to get votes. Like I will pave the road, Uh-oh. and your ward will vote for me. He he was Grace like some palms. Yeah, he yeah. was very much like a, a sort of autocrat on the ground of like getting all the rural towns what they needed mm. and keeping the cities in line. You oh, know, he I gotcha. he he appealed to the English minority that was the wealthy business owners in the cities and sort of sidelined the French speaking working class. And um, yeah, David Lynch actually should make a movie about this guy because could you imagine that living under that dude and you're like an orphan? And <laughs> I think Roger Waters would be a better guy to to make <laughs> I guess a film. That's why they call him Little Orphan Annie. Sorry, I'm just fucking <laughs> around up here. Um, it adds a lot more to an Oliver Twist story if it's like you know in '50s Quebec. <laughs> All right, let's get off the fence. Yes. What does that mean again? We're gonna get off the fence on a few questions about Mulholland Drive. Okay. Okay. My first question: Since this film was supposed to be a TV show, as a pilot for a TV show, kind of like Twin Peaks. Yep. Mm-hmm. Do you think Mulholland Drive would have been better as a TV show or as a movie? Mm. Anthony, I'll start with you. A movie. Why? I think because it allows you to take it all in in one moment and really like, like finish it from point A to point B and then think about it. I think with as a TV show, there's because where they like once a week or something, yeah. an episode that maybe you'll that kind of show you will lose. I feel like you would lose track of like what's going on. And then those yes. little quick recaps of, Oh, last week on Mulholland drive. They're like, what the hell just happened? I don't remember. So no, I think just being able to take it all in, it's a lot to take in at once, but I feel like it, it gives you, you know, it all in one, in one moment without that space in between. What if it was a mini series? <laughs> no, no, I think it's just, it's actually voted one of the greatest films of all time. Woof. Oh, so. All right. No, what about you, it's gotta Mike? be a film. <laughs> well, it would be so different, you know, like, can you imagine if Breaking Bad was a movie yeah. like, and they yeah. fit all that in like up to like, you know, everything through season four. And even if it was three it hours, it would have been episode one though. Cause remember we were talking like the movie is only the pilot. Oh yeah. Mm. Okay. So, well, here's what I think. There's a lot of things that they choose not to go more into. And you could have these characters intersect with each other so much more. Mm-hmm. So so even if he left the writing to someone else, you could have like some you could have like the Silencio woman turn out to be the person behind the dumpster. Or you could have right. like multiple dreams and it could be an anthology. You could have Rita's dream. You could have like the dream of the director. Oh my God. Right. (laughs) And like, there's a, I think there's a million things you could do. I don't know. I don't know what he had already set up the TV show to be, what he had restricted the theme to, because I I think if you did go and you had a dream about each character and it's really disorienting, I, I think that could be really cool. Um, or even just like maybe have dreams go back and forth. But I think what's really cool about Mulholland Drive is that you essentially have a transgressive character, right? Like, like, um, like the equivalent of the main guy in Train Spotting, um, or uh, uh, even what's her name, uh, Zendaya's character in Euphoria. These characters Rue. who the the yeah Rue. They the first thing they do the f- opening scene of Train Spotting and Euphoria is this person kind of like uh, the main character of Mulholland Drive. She's down on her luck. 
life kind of sucks. She's not a person you would want to be. And they, the first thing they do is they make a defense of it. They explain themselves. Right. And she doesn't explain herself in Mulholland drive. And so I feel like if he just subverted transgressive storytelling like that over and over and over, yeah, maybe he could have done something, but, but, but yeah, like uh, there, it's so tight as a movie. Mm -hmm. You don't want to just say like, Oh yeah, take the movie and make it into a bunch of filler in between. That would be horrible. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, that's, that's my view on it. But you Diego, I very much liked it as a movie, you know, I, so I'm going to stick with the movie, not really much of a TV, TV show person. So sorry guys, I'm a bit biased, but I would say, um, yeah, I I just really like the I like uh when it comes to movies um it yeah. feels like there's more risk taking and less dialogue yeah. and more of like just visual mm-hmm. and cinematographic uh elements are kind of have more room to breathe and I think that was really displayed within this movie so yeah. I would stick with the movie for sure. I would stick with the movie as well too. Mm-hmm. Mostly based on what you just said because like films there's a specific narrative that is being told mm-hmm. they're making risks and it's a two hour experience. Almost three. Yeah. It's like two, two hours and five minutes, yeah. two hours and 43 minutes. Oh wow. Okay. It is a beefy one. Mm. It was not that long. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it is. Trust you, me. I looked it up. You saw the, the extended math. cuts, but it's <laughs> interesting to say <laughs> it's still a different feeling. And I would attribute this to uh, some a remark I heard from Dan Harmon, the creator of like Community and Rick and Morty, and I, there's another show I'm forgetting. He talked about in storytelling that the biggest difference between television and film is that television people come back to it. They invite it into their home. They make it part of their schedule of relaxation. So you can only be so uncomfortable and you can only be so subversive. Mm. Like you need to remove it and either make it humorous or reassuring or Mm. something like there's never going to be a saw TV show, right? Like like nobody's going to be like, Oh, this week, this person gets brutally murdered and I have to watch it and cry. Like they do a purge, uh, TV show. Really? Did yeah, they? Oh my. Purge. I didn't. I don't think it lasted more than the season. <laughs> so there you go. Yeah, right. <laughs> There's a red wedding in Game of Thrones. Everyone loves to talk about. The- yeah, but but okay. Can I give like a Game of Thrones hot take? Oh shit! Uh, Here we go. Not. I haven't watched that much of Game of Thrones, but broadly That's speaking, <laughs> well, okay. So I feel like there are three types of storytelling, right? Yes. There's like moral storytelling, the mm-hmm. oldest kind. We started telling stories to essentially pe- tell people, you know, don't put your hand in the bee's nest, right? Or like, don't kill other people. The original narrative learning is moral storytelling is very old. Then you get into psychological storytelling, which. I think has its like height in like films where people are motivated by things, but you're not necessarily making a moral judgment. So like old Hollywood with film noir action, superheroes, whatever. But then you get into this higher level of sociological storytelling, which I think is what like Game of Thrones very explicitly is. You're not in love with the any of the characters you're in love with the world they inhabit and i think the equivalent devastation in sociological storytelling would be like if the whole setting got destroyed which Mm. it doesn't ever really in game of thrones somebody replaces somebody nobody destroys the throne it's all about the game and the throne and if that was subverted you'd be like oh my god what am i watching you know so so with sociological storytelling and you could also say requiem for a dream is sociological 
if halfway through Requiem for a Dream, you stop making it about addiction, you, that'd be more upsetting than all the people losing their arms or dying. You'd be like, well, wait a minute. I was attached to this theme, this setting, this thing. So I think Game of Thrones finds a way out, I guess, as a TV show by making the audience love something much more like inanimate and like, uh, like, you know, like all encompassing, I guess. They they prove they're good at it by killing people off, you know. I do have to say, now you explained why we all hated the ending of Game of Thrones. <laughs> yeah. Because the world, as you put it, yeah. was destroyed. Yeah, and, and the mechanics of sociological storytelling depend on this the, the community being predictable in its behavior. Like people like The Wire, another sociological storytelling story. I haven't seen but my brother's told me enough about it over the last 10 years yeah. that like, you know, I know a little bit about it and people aren't in love with the characters who are corrupt or they die or they fail. They're in love with like Baltimore and they're in love with like the immortality of Baltimore in the face of like mortal corruption, you know, because mm-hmm. everyone here is going to be mortal. But the immortal thing we can hang our hat on is the community we live in. True. So very true. Yeah. Damn. okay well my next question yes do you think the film was actually a dream or do you think it was something else like what as a brain is shutting off well let's talk about what we all agree on which is kind of going back to my thing about thoughts i think we all agree that it is like definitely represents an interior thought process yeah whether that's a memory or a dream Uh uh-huh or a DMT trip. <laughs> I'd oh. say it's a dream for that for yeah. that reason. Yeah, I think for, for memory, it's 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 too um, too scattered, too like oh, but this is what actually happened, which I feel like is more um, dream esque, especially with like just shown through the cinematography and transitions as well. Yeah, it's it's, it's ambiguous though as to whether the last part is another dream True. or if. The first part was multiple dreams. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's really possible, right? Like we're, we're talking about it in this binary. Is it a dream or not? But it's almost like the theism, atheism binary of like, well, what if you believe it's multiple dreams or or it's a dream in a dream or something like that's not very explicit, but very possible. I think if the show is exp- I think if the film was expanded to a show, you would have multiple consciousnesses going on. You would have the guy in the diner. You would have the hitman. You would have the director. Mm-hmm. I think my favorite episode would probably be the cowboy because because the <laughs> yeah. cowboy and probably the tramp. I bet they're related, right? I bet they're probably, probably the same mystical being. It probably mm-hmm. be the last episode that just kind of like adds the extra well the cowboy is such a therapeutic place in the narrative because you don't know what's going on and he tells you like exactly what's going on and why in this calm voice Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. and you're like well this guy's not a good guy but he's a good guy in terms of helping me understand what's going on in the movie you know Mm -hmm. what about you anthony yeah i I mean i've been a big proponent (laughs) i definitely believe it's a dream and i just think how it it's how the events take place definitely replicate how someone would be dreaming where you had said in the, in the beginning of when you are dreaming, it's Mm -hmm. scattered. And then I just, I just picture like all these atoms, like all floating in empty space and Mm -hmm. then slow, they start to slow down. Then they start to like have some cohesion. And so that's kind of how I feel that it is a dream. Like a big bang almost. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) That's That's a good one. Yeah. 
Do we think David Lynch is a genius in film and storytelling? Define genius. I think genius is a silly word. Okay. <laughs> Diego and I immediately are just like not taking it. No. Yeah, we're just offended that we're not on this list. <laughs> no, just, Am I a genius? <laughs> no. I'm sorry, guys. I cringed when I said that. <laughs> um, I, I think he knows what he... I think he follows his interior gut and builds a very elaborate system very well i think it's really hard to do as an artist because you know you you um i've known a couple of writers who have like gotten published and and there there's this cycle in writing where you have to have faith in what that what you're writing is not a waste of time and that you're going to finish the draft and then you have to be a skeptic as you edit it and you have to be like well does this work does this work and you have to still have a clear vision as you're a skeptic and and i feel like he along the way did not throw away his idea or vision even if he didn't have a word for it, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. It's, it, and so I don't know if he's a genius, but that's very hard to do. That takes a lot of intelligence, a lot of cojones, like a lot of just faith in oneself and skepticism in oneself balanced, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love it. Diego. What's good? <laughs> do you think he's a genius? Um, I mean, uh, I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess, you know what? I'll give him his flowers. I think he's a genius. I think he's a genius for the fact that, um, I mean, he knew the kind of story he wanted to uh, the tell within his movie yeah. and, and just like within his style too. So I think, um, he's definitely, he's definitely just such a unique such a like a like a beautiful director you mm-hmm. know it's it's like he like clearly knows what everybody has seen what everybody expects and he absolutely subverts it you know just like yep. just turns it on your head and that's i, I love being surprised during a movie oh, so yeah. i really enjoyed this and every time i watch a david lynch film like yeah i feel like people who are definitely up there in terms of like some like Genre-defining people are definitely considered geniuses. And that's him. That is him. So, Anthony, is he a genius? I'll say yes and no. Um, I think any time you could watch a film and you think about something that's higher level than what you're watching and makes you think about what could real-world things and Mm -hmm. your own perspective on, on life, yes. But... And I guess I'm saying this without a lot of, so like I've seen Inland Empire, which came out after Mulholland Drive. So yeah. I'm, I'm saying this without a lot of evidence because I've only saw that movie once, but I feel like after Mulholland Drive, he started to play into more of his own formula where things mm-hmm. got over, overthought, yeah. where it was trying to subvert so much where there could be like no interpretation where it's just like a mess. Yeah, I actually you kind of outlined like a vague thought that I I didn't it wasn't like well laid out enough that I couldn't say it, <laughs> but but yeah, there's I think there's a point and even going back to Tarantino, he's been guilty of this where he Mulholland Drive is a boldly structured theme, right? And he's he, he, like I said, he has the faith and the skepticism to develop it, but Maybe it's tilted in the direction where he doesn't have enough skepticism in selling the idea of having an aesthetic that is accessible or 
or like recognizable or has utility in your own interpretation of it. And maybe this was like his balance, you know, as he was as he was going from safe to risky. And then he just got too risky or too artsy where somebody who knows his language in great detail may get something out of it. But it's not a self-educating piece of media mm-hmm. the way Mulholland Drive is. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah, I think. For me, there's not a lot of directors nowadays that have the balls, the vision to execute on a mm-hmm. very complex idea mm-hmm. on film. Like it's it's very hard. And like David Lynch, like with Mulholland Drive and like his other films, he makes those risks and they're executed in a way that's so artistic and so different. And he plays with the medium and it's like so well thought out and like perfect. That's just everything about it. It's just like, it comes together and like, you're taking on a ride and Mulholland drive is like one of those films where it doesn't feel like a film. It feels like, like you said, Mike, an extension of consciousness, like you're appearing into someone's brain as David Lynch's brain. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I want to go back. Were you the one who said it's almost like genre defining? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I want to like almost explore the mechanics of that because I feel like a genre is a series of like expectations, but also like re like they're also expectations for the audience, right? Like you should expect this to happen. A horror film. You should not expect to be comforted. Maybe even a drama film. You shouldn't. And with this movie, it doesn't clearly fit into a genre. Maybe it does now. Like maybe it's called Lynchian films or whatever. But <laughs> but at the mystical realism, I thought of Murakami. Yeah, 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 Murakami, and and sort of this this idea of it doesn't matter what's real because it's about this person's interior thought process, both in reality, in a dream, in a memory, and he lays out the mechanics on how to do that in this movie. Of like, yeah, you can start with a wild intro, you can have these striking moments, pull it out, stretch it out, be brave, do that. And I think a lot of people have then followed in that template. And he is a trailblazer that way. He sort of, if not building a whole genre, he built a way that you can structure a narrative. Trailblazer you know? blazer is a great word. Yeah. Way, I feel like. Yeah. Like, like, yeah, he's, he, he's how many people have we seen that have like even made an episode of a TV show, right? Where there's like this, dreamlike or did it really happen episode um i feel like i think of rick and morty like it's, it's just something it has to be something off the wall i mean i yeah. know there's no rick and morty episode like that maybe no but the humor or yeah. like the the abrupt shift in tone mm-hmm. all of that is not seen as schlocky it's seen as artistic and i think there's been just a lot of people that have built that sort of filmic grammar to make it acceptable, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. I think there is a Rick and Morty episode, the one where they're watching the, the commercials. Yeah. Oh, literally, yeah. I thought the same one where they're like in the TV and it's like a yeah. simulator. Yeah. 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 Which is more playing with the medium and it's like, oh, very self-aware and all very, that stuff. Like, uh, almost, very like f- almost fourth fourth wall kind of breaking. Fourth wall breaking, even breaking within their own universe. It's very... Yep. It's very unique. Yes. But like with David Lynch, like if like if he paved the way for other filmmakers, yes. I'm afraid that one, the way you the way you described it, um, is like they're like trying to imitate his style. It's like, oh, okay, here's the blueprints, but like they'll just be imitating David Lynch. It's like Jackson Pollock, you know, his paintings. Mm-hmm. I could splatter paints on a canvas and have it look like his painting, but it's not the same. It well, doesn't have the same weight. Is what he did doesn't have the same conversation he evoked when he started painting. Like I'm just copying his style. What I could do is like look at his paintings and be like, okay, 
he did that, makes me feel a certain way, and then I'm going to express it in my own way. I can yeah, inspired. yeah, it's it's. But I would say like the. For example, if somebody made a movie about like an actress failing and like she goes into her dreams, you'd be like, give me a break. This was already done better by David Lynch or whatever. But maybe you have a movie about like a guy who's like in the military and he's like in charge of like summary executions and you and he's like captured somebody that he knows from his childhood. And if you took the Mulholland Drive like structure before anything else and he's like joins the military and thinks he's going to help his country the same way that she like goes to Hollywood and thinks she's going to like contribute to art and be good at what she does and then you have a character they like screw up and things aren't making sense and you realize this is all their subconscious you can do that and you don't have to sell it as much as he had to sell Mulholland Drive like we have we have that media literacy now and and I think like to go back to Tarantino again, he very explicitly evokes our media literacy because he's like, yeah, this is an imitation of this. Yeah. Or I outright stole it. But the the context of where it occurs in the movie now makes you treat it completely different. Right. Like like I was talking to Diego about this with uh, uh, the black exploitation flicks of the 70s and yeah. and uh, Django Unchained, where it, the movies at the time were radical for what they let a black character do. The black character wasn't a supporting actor. They didn't die at the end or if they died at the end, they killed like the white villain, too. And then Django Unchained is Tarantino basically going like. No, no, fuck that. He not only lives, he kills everybody, even the women. He just kneecaps them. They all suck. Mm-hmm. And and he's <laughs> using like the same scene setups as these movies where that didn't happen. But it's almost like like the Lynch thing of like, well, let me pull this out of your consciousness and then give you like uh, reconcile it in some way. You know, like that, that's happening here. And, and I think there's like... Either way, there's an awareness of media literacy where they they at least know that if you're away, like they they know they can get to us with the the scene of the person behind the dumpster because we know tension and we know you know we've seen a movie where someone leaves a diner and gets shot or whatever like Goodfellas or something like that. So right. he knows he's gonna get us on edge. You know, mm-hmm. um, I don't know. And I do have to say before we get to the final question, there is I just remembered now there's a link between Tarantino and Lynch. Mm, yeah. Robert Forrester. Robert Forrester was in Jackie Brown, which is by Tarantino. He's the right. the guy. Yes. He's the oh, leading guy. And then yeah. in the beginning so of Mulholland that. Drive, Robert Forrester, the detective looking at the crash scene, he's like, oh, man, this is crazy. Oh, man. I, I like, have fuck, not, Robert Forrester. Yeah. <laughs> he, he was, he was, that was the only time he was in the movie. That was the only time. I thought yeah. he was going to be a big yeah. role. And I saw that, and I, I, saw, I was like, yeah, it was like one of these. Oh, so when I saw <laughs> Robert Forrester, I literally thought, like, Okay, so either Tarantino or David Lynch <laughs> saw one of their. I, I I feel like Jackie Brown came out after, but Tarantino. No, probably I think s- it came out before this. I think it was the nineties. Yeah, oh, like okay, mid nineties was Jackie Brown, and this was what two thousand two thousand. Yeah, so David Lynch. I want that. Like, guy. I want yeah. I yeah. want that guy. Yeah, yeah I thought the same thing. Yeah. Well, I guess uh, Daniel Radcliffe when he got his big break with Harry Potter, he was like he was <laughs> oh an God. extra in a Charles Dickens movie, and like they saw him for five seconds and were like, "We want that kid." So. <laughs> like it happens you know that's like, great yeah, yeah yeah so yeah jk rowling was like he is born a man and he is a man <laughs> i want that guy jk rowling's like i'm concerned with the transitions in the movie oh, okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> we're off the rails final question would you recommend mulholland drive to a friend anthony start with you yes because 
it just like I've said before, and I know I've said on other podcasts, just something like this, just where you can talk about this movie 20, what year is this? 23, 22 years later. Yeah, yeah 2023. And how yeah. it's still thought provoking. Like, yeah, there's timeless movies like The Godfather and stuff, but this right. is timeless in the sense of it gets you thinking. And right. that wasn't as common as it is now in, in France. Right. Yeah. It was ahead of its time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it really was. And, you know, like, if you listen to somebody, even if they complain about it, you're like, what am I going to learn about them? You know, like, <laughs> mm-hmm. do tell. Like, you could make this a Tinder prompt and online dating would get way more interesting. What do you think of Mulholland Drive? <laughs> you know, like, mm-hmm. even if somebody goes, oh, it's crap. You or know, would you like to watch t- uh, Taxi Driver? You know, oh yeah no that would be you know we used to watch these movies at my house um and my mom we would be watching like goodwill hunting or shawshank redemption these movies are like a big theme of like self character building and my mother would be like that's a guy movie and like you know it'd be like the moment in shawshank where he's like vindicated she's like it's such a guy movie <laughs> but like the parts she would point out would often be things that like yeah my dad and my brother and i would gloss over as like well that's just like a plot point and my mom's like nobody does that or like a woman would never make a big deal out of that mm-hmm. and 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 with with david lynch i feel like he leaves all these things for you to make that remark about and then he also leaves these little brilliant moments and then he almost kind of wants the intellectual in you to like say oh well this is actually a brilliant moment like mm-hmm. he wants you to pull all your feelings out of your subconscious back to his meditation thing and come up with a big explanation he wants this to be a really pretty mirror that makes your brain kind of look gorgeous and dull well, yeah, you know? that tickles your brain You're like, yeah wait, wait a second <laughs> right because if somebody has like the worst take yeah. in the world in the movie but they mm-hmm. still like have one scene they care about you care so much more than if somebody was like saw some other great movie like Fellowship of the Ring right and we're like Oh, I hated it, but I really love the hobbits running through the cabbage patch. You'd be like, okay, well, whoop de fucking do. Like, you know, with this, if they were like, oh, I hated the whole thing, but I love the Silencio scene, you'd be like, why? You know, like, mm-hmm. tell me who hurt you, you know? Like, why did that speak to you? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so you would recommend it to a friend. <laughs> oh, not only that, I'd be like, don't watch this movie unless you're willing to like pay attention and tell me about it. Oh, you know? yeah. yeah. Oh, agreed. Like, don't pop this on while you're doing the dishes. Like, mm-hmm. this isn't like New Jack City or whatever, where I don't know. I was just thinking I had a friend who was like, oh, I watched that while doing the dishes. I'm like, so you didn't get any. Oh, of it's it. a, <laughs> a, movies that you can come back to at any time. Uh, yeah. Like, uh, such as What We Do in the Shadows. Shout out yes. to you. Yeah, you were the one to make me think of these kind of movies. Um, yeah. Any fucking Marvel movie, because everyone's seen them. <laughs> Anything on TNT, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Fifth which Element. Like, which was like Fifth Element, Star Wars, and Harry Potter, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, well, and Gladiator, action. too. Oh, Gladiator. <laughs> that's right. But it's, that's a long movie, too. It is. And in the movie just, like, breaks your heart over and over. Like Something Avatar. Right. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. I had, let me the way the I have not seen it. Let me stop myself. Avatar I feel like I'm just, just felt going. like an antidepressant as a movie. That's you good. Know, like that's like you know. Hey, we are stable. James yeah. Yeah. Get up. Go to the bathroom. You'll see it again. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Don't worry. They'll still be blue when you come back. Like <laughs> again with the color blue. <laughs> yeah. But could you imagine if halfway through Avatar, like the planet blows up, they go mine a different planet, and everyone looks like the District Nine aliens? You get 
back from the bathroom like, <laughs> oh, no. I thought, this was, I thought they were going to be blue, you know. Like, I thought it was going to be cuter. <laughs> That's if it was directed by Ryan Johnson. Okay. Well, you know, um, yeah, you were saying about um, anything else besides this director? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, Diego, would you recommend it? Hell yeah. I had a great time watching this movie. I, At 7 a.m.? Right when you wake up? <laughs> Honestly, I, uh, yeah, because like when you're half asleep or kind of sleepier and you're in a very chill out oh, yeah. thing, but absorb this movie. <laughs> yes. You're like, am I, what am I watching right now? Is it real? Is this actually happening? Yes. Right now? Yeah. yeah. And that's like, you know, movies should do that in my opinion. Like they should feel like, you know, the, um, not existentialism. It's, it's a lot happier than that. No, but you're, I, when you're pulled out of it. Oh, um, uh, yeah. Escapism. Shit. Oh, yeah. yeah. Big difference. We know. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I like the existentialism because, you yeah. know, I, I recently was reading an existentialist and he talks about how before you know that you're alive or what to be means or anything like that, the Matrix would talk about, for example, you're thrown into your family and your community and all this is, is Heidegger. And he and he says that by the time you're trying to make sense of what it means to be or to be be a good person or what your dreams are all these incredibly detailed cultural experiences have imprinted your idea about all of it and he's like the only thing all people have in common is they try to make their life into a story because it's it would be too depressing for it to be a bunch of random yeah, I love my main character walks so you kidding right. me when I put on like my favorite song and I'm like yeah. you know what this song it should be playing when I'm walking through yeah. downtown Chicago and it's snowing you know what I mean? yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah exactly yeah. And, like you're just walking i once walked yeah. all the way up to the art museum and like these people were heckling someone nice. else on the street yeah and i like yelled at him to leave the girl alone and i thought to myself like fuck yeah i'm that guy <laughs> <laughs> like ew no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no but it was like in the moment where i like i uh-huh. reflexively did it and then the second feeling that came in you went through a revolving door and went through it really fast and came out like i'm ready to save the day oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but it's it's true we we do make our life into a story and not only that if we have a change and this is kind of a part of Mulholland drive yep. you want to have a very dramatic um, like in psychology, there's this concept of the atrocity story where if mm. your life got better and you were in a worse place, you're going to say like, well, I was around bad people and I knew that there was this part inside me that wasn't right. And when I changed those things, success came to me. Mm-hmm. And and it could just be that you were kind of with friends who were just vibing, didn't care. And then you wanted to be with people that wanted to do a thing. But your narrative is going to make it so dramatic. Mm-hmm. And in Mulholland Drive, you have this woman who like showed up at L.A. She screwed up. Whoop de doo. So do all bunch of young people every year. Except now, like, oh no, there's a big explanation, and it involves an assassin, and mm-hmm. you know, right. a runaway, and a blowing up limo. Like that, that doesn't. No, like to mm-hmm. fail in Hollywood's a pretty mediocre experience. Yep. You know, yep. tis a dream. Tis yeah. a dream. <laughs> I would recommend it nice. with an asterisk. Mm, yeah. It's not for everybody. Mm-hmm. I can see that. Like you have to, like you said, like we all said, we have to sit down and watch it, pay attention and then let it communicate to us. We're communicating back. You have to give, you have to take. Yeah. And to average Marvel person, they're mm. not going to get it. They're not going to have time for this. So okay. yeah, that's, that's me. Go watch it. If you like film shots fired. Shots fired. Mm -hmm. But if you're like a, you know, one of those people. 
Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you chiching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Well, well, okay, I want to oh, give an addendum to what you're saying. Okay. <laughs> I, I feel like we all watch a movie, even if we watch it unconsciously, even if we watch it on our cultural default that like our parents taught us or whatever. And cultural default. Yeah, like, okay, like I'm going to watch this the way I watch a Michael Bay film, but a person in Kyrgyzstan is still watching a Michael Bay film differently than you are. You know, there and is, this is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> like, Recently watched Armageddon. Oh, yeah. oh, actually, I'm still going through it. Armageddon? It. Yeah. The With one. Bruce Willis? Yeah. <laughs> I've never seen it. I saw the core. You never saw it. I saw the core, and then I was like, Didn't well, I guess TNT? I can watch. Like, <laughs> That's like a boomer movie. I know. Yeah. Watching it feels very and weird. And I don't want to miss a thing. <laughs> Yeah, you can right. get up, take a dump, and they're, like, still landing on the thing or whatever. Yeah, like, I kind of was... Yeah, I'm sorry, I'm getting into another It's very movie. much a dishwashing movie, like, we're talking about that. <laughs> it is a dishwashing. It's also, like, uh, like the dramatics. Like, Armageddon is a lot. I feel like I'm... Mm-hmm. Um, this is not. No, I mean, I'm we'll here. do an Armageddon podcast. Yeah, we'll do yeah. one another time. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. We could do we an talk, Armageddon mini my... podcast. I don't know. How much. Yeah, I was, I was about to say, like, I was like, I don't really know. We how could just talk about Bruce Willis films. If I really wanted to talk oh, about a disaster yeah. movie, it'd probably be the day after tomorrow. <laughs> do you guys know the story of uh, Bruce Willis really tried to get Samuel Jackson's part in Pulp Fiction? Yes, really? I do. Yeah, I yes, he, I do. He showed up at Quentin Tarantino's house or invited him over to his house. And he's like, I know you said this is like only a role for a black actor, but I read the whole script twice and I think I could really do it. And Tarantino's like, no, nah, I already like have a guy that I'm like going with. And then he like sold him on the butch character who he didn't want to do, you know, the, the boxer. But but Bruce Willis kept pushing. He goes, well, fine. You want the lingo? He could be a hipster guy. We could say he's a white guy raised in Oakland. Like I can like do a whole wardrobe for it and he's like ah like i don't think that's gonna work yeah 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 (laughs) oh my god and same similar story with like robert de niro wanting like robert forster's character and jackie brown he's like oh man if i if i only talk to you sooner that yeah, me. Well, but he's like a Chicago Ope guy, you know, the, the yeah. Robert Forrester is in that movie. He's like the epitome of dropping Chicago a like, Ope. yeah, he's like an older, middle aged, like he, Chicago. He's dude. past his Ope years. So. <laughs> yeah, he's like, 
I can't say ope anymore. I just got to take it for what it is. Yeah, but like someone points a gun at him and you're ready for him to just not break a face and be like, oh, well, you know, that's how you feel. Like, <laughs> oh, oh, my God. Guys, we talked about it. We all recommend Mulholland Drive. Yep. Yeah. Oh, Thank yeah. you so much. Anthony, Mike, Diego. Me. We all came together. This was a great podcast. Thank you so much for coming. Yeah, thank, thank you, you, man. I'm so thank happy I dedicated myself to wake up to watch this movie because I thought if I didn't, I'd have to text you all that I can't make it because I didn't <laughs> watch it. So, um, but it was it was a great, great movie. Like totally caught me off. Surprise. You are totally fine. Yeah. Yeah. When I did Violent Night, Allie didn't watch uh, Violent Night. <laughs> I didn't do Violent Night. It's like writing the book report, you know, without reading yeah. the book. I want to watch Violent Night. It looks fun. Though. Al, if you're listening, I'm sorry. <laughs> we all came on, and Aaron and I were like, okay, we watched a movie. Ellie's like, okay, when are we watching it? Like, what? Oh, no. <laughs> it's okay. It was okay. a great podcast. <laughs> okay, cool, 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 cool. We should, though. Can uh, we cut I, out that sheesh? Thanks. Wait, what? Can we cut out that sheesh? Thanks. Sheesh? Never mind. I'm, I'm sorry. confused. I'm nervous. Don't think. Don't. Every, everything don't you've been doing me. so far is totally working. So okay, don't thanks. stress it. Thanks. You know? Okay, Mike. guys. Thank you so much for coming. <laughs> <laughs> That's all going into the tape. Hell yeah! Anxiety for the wind. <laughs> you know right. what? Your vulnerability is like the representation of anxiety that we need. So. Okay. Thank you, Michael. <laughs> and fade out. Goodbye, everybody. See ya. Bye. <laughs> That's it for this time on The Syndicate. We hope you enjoyed yourself. Keep the conversation going by adding us on Instagram and letterboxed at Syndicate. Or join the Discord server where you can catch Armand along other podcasters and listeners at syndicate.com slash discord. And until next time, stop that scroll and spend more time watching. Goodbye.